This episode of Walls of Time Bluegrass Podcast is brought to you by Hoosier Devil, supporting and promoting Roots music in Western North Carolina and beyond. Owned and operated by Maggie Rainwater, Hoosier Devil offers a variety of services, including graphic and web design, publicity, and social media management to promote your band, album, or event. Visit them on social media or at HoosierDevil.com. That's H-O-O-S-I-E-R-D-E-V-I-L.com. Hoosier Devil. Welcome to Walls of Time Bluegrass Podcast, field interviews with the best in bluegrass. In part two of host Daniel Mullins' interview with Carl Jackson, Carl talks about his work as a writer and producer. From working with Jim Rushing to producing Grammy Award-winning albums like the All-Star Leuven Brothers Tribute, Carl relates his experiences of producing albums for some of the top artists in country and bluegrass. He gives insight into his journey and what it takes to be true to your art and yourself in the evolving music industry. Let's rejoin Daniel and Carl in Nashville, Tennessee, for part two of our interview with Carl Jackson, a true music renaissance man. Um, You mentioned that Glenn was one of the ones that really helped uh, kickstart your songwriting career uh, after he cut Letter to Home. Uh, How did that transition from being a touring musician to being uh, a songwriter occur and, and what were some of the, the the differences or what were some things that were harder to get used to making that transition it was it was another one of those things that just kind of happened naturally it was like oh man here's another door i can go through and you know i've been writing songs i mean i wrote i even wrote a few songs with lyrics back when i was a teenager you know they weren't very good but but i started you know but i wrote instrumentals back then but i wrote a few things but then when i went with glenn in 72, I started writing more, and then I finally got up enough nerve to show him some of them. He liked them, and I did this this kind of crazy album called Old Friends back then, which was kind of a pop album for the most part, you know, but I was very much influenced at the time by the Eagles and by Elton John and different things. And if you hear that album, you can hear all that stuff in it. It's, you know, it's kind of bizarre. <laughs> but anyway, I was just kind of perfecting that craft you know and kind of learning how to do that and then he comes along and does letter to home and all of a sudden the doors that weren't necessarily closed here in town they weren't closed to me but they were suddenly swung a whole lot they were a lot more wide open it's like now they get a tape from carl jackson and it's like it don't immediately go in the garbage yeah can. you know it's like <laughs> instead of being oh, cracked it was yeah, open the quite doors a, bit. Yeah. a whole lot more open and all i mean it just led to you know, major cuts by so many great people, you know, uh, you know, Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood and Diamond Rio, and Steve Warner and Pam Tillis and on and on and on, you know, all that might not have happened without Glenn again, you know, there he, there he is, you know, and uh, so, gosh, and then that, you know, it carries on to the bluegrass world. I mean, goodness, you know, Doyle has cut. I think Doyle Austin has cut it's 13, 14 songs. Rhonda has done the yeah, same. Yeah. Who were some of your biggest influences as a songwriter? Um, my biggest influences as a songwriter, probably my overall biggest influence. And it would, would be one that kind of comes after the fact of my earlier influences. My earliest influences would be Jimmy Webb, believe it or not, and, and, uh, and Elton John. 
And Bernie Great Taupin. songwriter. Yeah. Absolutely. I love those guys. Man, I, oh gosh, Toppin's lyrics just blew me away. Uh, but later on, the one that kind of took over and then probably influenced more overall would be Jim Rushing. Really? Yeah. Jim Rushing is just a, a master songwriter. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden be introduced to him and not, not really know what he was and how great he was through Ricky, through Ricky Skaggs, you know, when we were both writing for his company. All of a sudden, man, you got this guy who just totally gets it, totally understands. And I learned so much from Jim, you know, never to settle. You know, the song's not finished until it's finished, <laughs> until it's right, you know, and you, and you don't, you dig deep, you don't dig shallow. You know, <laughs> you, you get this thing right, you know, and you, you, you paint that, you try to make that little three minute movie mm-hmm. or four minute movie yeah. or five minute movie. You don't, you don't, oh no, it, it can't be that long. No, 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 no. That's too long. Yeah. Oh no, 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 no. It's got to have a course here. No, no, that's not, the that's way not going to fit the format. You know, that's yeah. not the way you, that's not the way you write. You write to what it needs to be to serve the purpose of the song, tell the story of the song you know, whether it's one verse in a course, like, you know, or whether it's Today I Started Loving You Again, or whether it's MacArthur Park, <laughs> you know, I mean, you, you you write it how it's supposed to be and then let the chips fall where they may, you know, but when you get, when you paint yourself into these corners of, oh, man, no, no, it's got to, it's got to start with the course, or it's got to, uh, it's got to get to the course quicker. Uh, uh, it's too long. It's too, it can't be over three minutes long. You know, they won't play it. You go, oh, they won't play it because it's not good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know there are some that won't play it because it's too long. But you, you, you if you worry about them, then you're then you're just El Paso take... was too long as well. And exactly. It's one of the best... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You're taking you're taking things in the wrong direction if you let that control what you write. Those kind of rules, you know, some people make them apply sometimes, but they're hurting the overall. And if we become part of it, we're helping them hurt it. And, and b- besides <laughs> yeah. that, as as a songwriter, it's got to be your perspective's got to be a little bit different because you're trying to make stuff that's going to last for the next forty years, not for the next four that's months. Right. That's exactly right. Um, how does that how does that alter your perception of when you go into write to think like, okay, this is this is we're trying to create something that's transcendent here, versus something that's going to be hot enough that some hot rod singer could make it a hit in four well, months. Well, it's probably, it probably has hurt my bank account some over the long haul because believe me, if you can write, uh, if you can write MacArthur Park, you you can write one of these little ditties about iced tea and cutoffs too. Yeah. Yeah, okay? totally. But do you want to? Yeah. And I've kind of taken the position I can I'm not saying I won't cash the check. If one day I get influenced to write some little ditty and it, and it works, somebody cuts it, I'll cash the check. But I'm not going to seek that. I'm not going to go down there every day and, and oh, this is what we have to write now. This is what we ha- this is what we have to chase. This is what we have to copy. No, I want to write that that thing where I wake up in the morning, you know, and so- something's on my mind so much that I gotta I gotta finish it. I got to write or something happens in my life that, oh man, I got to write a song about this. You know, my dad tells me about how he met my mom after all those years. I got to write Lee and Ruby Pearl. You know, is it a big hit yet? Has anybody even cut it yet? No, because I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll wind up cutting it or whatever, you know, or, you know, maybe somebody will, is it going to be a big hit in bluegrass or anywhere? 
doesn't matter. It's a big hit wherever I play it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the, probably the most requested song I have right now because that's that story had to be told, and I, I couldn't put a time limit on it, and I'm not going to be able to get the word. Well, actually, uh, maybe there is a truck in there, you know, but it wasn't just to get truck in there. It was part of yeah. the story, you know. Uh, you know, my dad borrowed my uncle's truck literally to go find my mom. That really happened. It's not that I had to get the word truck in there, yeah. you know, or, or, you know, so I don't know. I, I probably went around the world there to explain that, but I kind of take the position of when I go into a writing session with somebody, if they start going down that rabbit hole, it pretty well turns me off pretty quick, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm not as likely to come out with, with something that I'm going to love anyway. Yeah. You know, do you think that some of that may have to do um, with the fact that you were blessed with such, a, such an opportunity to work with someone who made music that transcended, you know, genres and generations? You know, when when you're standing next to the guy singing Wichita Lineman, a song <laughs> as powerful as that, no that that is going to be a, that affects people now just as much as it did 40 years ago. Yeah. That's really got to add a lot of perspective for when you go into a writing room with someone that's only worried about the chart in a few it months. It does. You know. And not just standing by him, but standing by the guy that wrote it. Yeah, totally. I mean, Jimmy's a dear friend yeah. of mine, too. You know, and it's like, man, this Jimmy Webb. Yeah. You know, I, I got to step up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like he's he's not going to be too blown away with, uh, you know, you know, iced tea and cutoffs and, and truck. Yeah. You know, and bonfire. Yeah. You know, can we get all four yeah. of those in there? We got a hit, don't we? It sounds like you a to do list more than it does a song. Exactly. You know? you know? Oh, don't forget beer. Oh, we can't. Beer and iced tea. Oh, yeah. You know? Both of them. You got to have, you know, it's like. <laughs> we got to uh, get corn in there, too. You know? can't, yeah. Oh, gosh. I wrote this stupid thing a few years ago. Uh, I call it the truck song. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a total, just, it's a total joke, yeah. but I'm almost afraid to pitch it. <laughs> someone might think it's serious. Yeah. Somebody, somebody might cut it, you know, <laughs> it'd probably be a monster, but I was literally making fun of the whole thing, you know? Uh, but it probably would be a hit in all honesty, if somebody cut it and you're like, man, wow. It's a, uh, but you know, I'll do it at a writer's night for a laugh, you know? As someone that's been a part of of such powerful music, whether as a singer, songwriter, producer, what is it like to see the way that the um, the integrity of the music um, that we all have loved for so many years has almost been cheapened with today's music business and music industry? Oh, it hurts. It hurts a lot. It's painful to try to listen to the radio, you know, thank God for Sirius XM, you know, to be able to listen to to the Bluegrass channel, the Outlaw channel, whatever, you know, the the hardcore Willie's Roadhouse, you know, to be able to hear some actual country music, you know, and I don't, I don't want that to sound, I don't begrudge anybody making whatever they want to make as music and, and being successful at it. I don't begrudge that. I'm happy for them. But man, if you go out of here and you, you build a house out of a, you know, whatever aluminum siding, if you call it a brick house, you're just wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a brick house. Yeah. And 
that ain't country music. I'm yeah. sorry. <laughs> you know, if you want to argue if it's good or bad, that's another argument. That's a completely other argument. But yeah. it ain't country. You love Elton John, but you're not walking around. I'm not trying to tell you that Elton's country, but I can tell you one thing. Tumbleweed Connection album is a whole oh, lot more country man. than than anything. Ballad of a Well-Known Gun is no better joke. than anything on the top country these oh days. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a masterpiece song. That's a masterpiece album. Yeah. Was it even thought about being country in those days? No. But it's that's that's what's... It's closer to what we know as country music than anything these days, and uh, it was just it was just good music. Absolutely, just good music, and and really and quite honestly, most of the stuff on country radio today, it's not good. I'm sorry, and I yeah, don't yeah. mean to point fingers at anybody. And that, that's not saying that any artist out there doesn't have the ability to do good. They, you know, they're they do. Or, or a lot of them do. Yeah. But that don't mean they do. Yeah. And, but, you know, hey, whatever's working for you, yeah. just remember you may have to do it later on. Yeah, you're going to have to sleep at night. Well, yeah. and you may have to perform it at yeah. 60. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> them cutoffs and trucks. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to go a little. Them cutoffs might be drooping a little it's bit gonna go a little thin, It's going to go a little thin later on, I'm telling you. <laughs> just, you know, I'll take a. I can guarantee you Jimmy Webb don't have to he don't have to do a concert and hang his head anywhere. Yeah. You know, I mean the man he, he sits there and he plays these masterpiece songs. And they were masterpieces at twenty and they're masterpieces now. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what you want to tr- you're not gonna accomplish it always like him or you know, and, and and believe me, I've heard a lot of Jimmy's other songs too. They're not all Wichita Lyman. Yeah. But they're all good. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh so that's what you want to strive for. You want you, you want to strive for that thing you're talking about where people hear it long after you're gone and they go, Oh man, you know, I wanna write a song like that. Like you hear Wichita Lyman, you want to write a song like that, don't you? Yeah. You know, and, and it wasn't even finished. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. You know, Jimmy wrote it and he and he and he played what he had for Glenn. Well, Glenn went in and cut it. And he's like, well, it's finished now. You know, and so he might have come off the line, yeah, but they, yeah, Glenn left exactly. him standing there. We don't yeah, know. We don't, we know. He's still on the. Yeah, he's still he's, on the line. He's still on the line. I don't know. There probably would have been another verse that had been left up to Jimmy. You know. Jimmy tells that story, and I think it's just beautiful, you know. But it's 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 great just the way it is, too, you know. Women love men who care about their hair, and nothing makes a man's hair look better than Samson's hair care. Hi, I'm Santana Bell, and let me tell you, Daniel Mullins's hair was a mess before he started using Samson's. Trust me, I'm his girlfriend, but Samson's has made a world of difference. It holds all day. Even after a day of riding roller coasters, his hair still looked great. I couldn't believe it. But even with the all-day hold, I could still easily run my fingers through his hair without it feeling stiff or greasy. But the best part is the smell. It's not over powering, but it gives off a distinctive, pleasant aroma that lasts all day. Honestly, a man could stop wearing cologne as long as he wore Samson's. It smells that good. Head to samsonshaircare.com to get some hair pomade for the man in your life. Neither of you will be disappointed. Use code bluegrass at checkout to save 10%. That's samsonshaircare.com, code bluegrass to receive 10% off. samsonshaircare.com, 
code bluegrass. And now back to Walls of Time. How did um you, your career as a songwriter and as a picker here in town morph into your role as a producer? What was the first album that you got to produce? You mentioned producing some of those demo sessions, um, but when did you get the, the, the reins handed over to you to produce a full album? Wow, that's a good question. That's a good question. I don't even know if I can put my finger on it. Probably... I probably got to produce some things that didn't really come to fruition. I remember there was a, a group on uh, that had a little de- developmental deal for a while on uh, Warner Brothers called Slicker Billy, and they were good pickers and singers, man, good, good guys. And I went in and did three or four sides on them uh, for Warner. That was it was good stuff, but it never they never got it out. Never, you know, just never. It never came together. The, the yeah. label didn't accept it, or didn't yeah. want to put it out, or whatever. But I go back and listen to it. I'm proud of it. It's good. I did some stuff on Ruby Love it years ago. Again, kind of the same situation. It was really good, uh, but it didn't. It just didn't didn't pan out. Uh, I think the uh, I had done other things, but the Lubin Brother record really kind of set things off. Uh, when I was able to put that record together uh, with all the, you know, that was one of those things that happened with, you know, Kathy Lubin called me and, and asked me what I thought about a a tribute record to her, to her dad and her uncle Charlie. And I said, oh, I think that'd be a great idea. And she said, well, uh, would you consider producing it? And I'm like, of course I would, you know, if we always, I always insist the only, only thing that keeps me from doing something like that, that I really am passionate about or is if, if we can do it right. And there is a certain amount of money and budget it takes to do things right. You can't just throw something together and expect it to, to well, win Grammys. And, and especially if, uh, if you want to salute someone that you have as much respect for their music as Charlie and I were the Lubin brothers, exactly. you don't want to, exactly. you don't want to half do it. Yeah. You know, you're, you're doing something that's right. got right. the Lubin brothers name attached right. to it. Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, and I'd done, I'd done things before then. I mean, me and John Starlin, you know, I mean, we produced the spring training album together. Yeah. And that won a Grammy did, as well. Didn't didn't it won a Grammy as well. And we, we decided, I, I can remember we were sitting at the, at the Rivergate cooker down here and we talked about doing that album and we we said well hey let's do this album but if we do it let's let's do it let's win a grammy let's do it right let's <laughs> yeah do it. and so luckily we did and that helped open some doors but back to the Leuven brother thing then when that came along i was i was all for doing that record and so we started putting kind of a wish list together of artists we'd like to be on it you know and so much of that just fell into place because gosh man i Again, such a blessing to have so many great friends and business. And I wound up on that record having to leave people off of the record that wanted to be on it. If that makes any sense. There were the people wanting to be, because it was the Lou yeah. Brothers, man. That's frustrating, but it's a good problem to have. Yeah, you know, you know? I remember not being able, uh, Cheryl Crow wanted to be on that record, and I just couldn't couldn't make it work. You know, part of that was part of that was me. You know, it was like uh, I, was, I was actually going to let her sing on something, but they wanted to do it. They wanted to record her part out in L.A. or something without, without me even being there, and I'm like, no, not going to happen, yeah. you know. And but then, you know, later on, I obviously got Cheryl on on other things, and she did a beautiful job. But uh, but anyway, yeah, couldn't get everybody on there that wanted to be on the record, and uh, but then it it came out and won a couple of Grammys. Uh, 
What? How do you approach an album like that? That's so massive with so many moving parts, so many different songs, uh, so many different artists that you have to coordinate. Like, what's that process like? On maybe I don't know. Do you make a blueprint out on kind of how you're going to go about that? I took the Lubin Brothers box set, the Bear Family box Close set. Close Harmony, right? It's, yeah, and I went six through six disc or something. Yeah, right? Yeah. I went through every song and I started making kind of my wish list, maybe my top twenty-five or thirty. You know, and then I started throwing those out, you know, two artists. And there were there were obvious songs, obviously obviously when I stopped dreaming, you know, you think, well, that's gonna be the one everybody wants to do. That's gonna be the first one, you know, and there's gonna be there's tons of others. I mean the the Brother I mean, we could have I could do another one now. We could have done a double we could have done a box set. Yeah. There's so many great songs. But of course you you know, budget and time doesn't allow that and there's a long story on that on how on how that all happened if you wanna hear. But uh, you start uh, you start throwing out uh, ideas uh, to to obvious people, you know. I mean, of course, I wanted Emmy on there, and of course, I wanted Dolly on there, you know, and, and I wanted Vince on there, and you know, I remember talking to Vince, and he's like, uh, "Yeah, man, I want to do a, I want to do that sh- shuffle, you know, because I'd I'd picked that particular tune, and I really liked it, you know." And he said, "I want to do that one, you know." And uh, gosh, then there was. There's more stories about that. It was great. I, I originally had, uh, <clears throat> I had, uh, had kind of held when I stopped dreaming for. Uh, well, when I when I was able to land James Taylor on there, you know, I thought he probably would want to do when I stopped dreaming, you know, and his request was that he would do it if he could sing with Alison Krauss, you know? Wow. And I said, well, I think I can make that happen, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, spoke with Allison and, uh, and, and she was all up for it, you know? And, uh, but then I threw, when I stopped dreaming at James and he was like, no, that's, that's just not right. That's not it. That's it's not it's a good not, fit. Yeah. It's not a good fit. That's not what I want to do, you know, whatever. So I was a little bit disappointed, but then I took, <laughs> I was, I took Glenn Campbell and Leslie Satcher and moved them over to when I stopped dreaming. I was going to have them do How's the World Treating You. Really? And so I'm, I threw James, you know, How's the World Treating You? And he, he, he gets back to me and he's like, perfect song, perfect key, perfect everything. I mean, I already cut the track. Yeah. Perfect key, perfect everything. <laughs> and he comes in and does it and it wins, it wins a Grammy on its own. You know, so that was that was really cool to be able to to work with him and and once again, uh, here's James Taylor, a guy I admired so much musically. You know, and uh, he's he's sitting there, man. I, he's telling me how much he loves this and tell, hey, I want to I want to do more of this. And I'm like, you can do this anytime <laughs> yeah, you want yeah. to, Hoss. You know? <laughs> you I'm know, not stopping you. And, and, and to have him in there going, hey, now how you want me to sing this part? You know, sing that part to me again. You know, that's that's pretty cool. You know, yeah. that felt really good. And also, and Allison, I mean, you can never say enough great things about Allison. I've always admired her so much, her integrity, her oh yeah, her belief in herself, in good ways. You know turning down every major label in town, you know, just because she wanted to do things her way and her, her music. And she, she trusted me on, she trusted me on You're that. so right. Yeah. The integrity that she has for her music and how much she understands how powerful her, uh, 
her her voice is not in, not in a, a braggadocious way, no. but in a you know this is my music. This that's is something right. that's precious, that's and right. she's. Uh, and I'm going to do it my way, and I want yeah. you know, and I'm not going to even take a chance on somebody uh, detracting from that or totally. You know, totally. Whether it's anything from song choice yeah. to, to label, because yeah. she, every aspect that that's has right. anything to do with her music, yeah, I mean, she has is a lot to do with picky her. about, and that's yeah, great. She stayed with Rounder, and I've I've admired that. I mean, she's good grief. Every major label in town tried to sign her. I mean, there was there was one deal that I, mean, I remember Steve Buckingham when he was at Columbia. I mean, he he tried to get me to talk her into signing with signing with them through me. You know. And I'm like telling her, hey, we'll do whatever you want to do. Now, if you want to do this, I won't even let them in the studio. We'll do it. But she's still, she's like, Carl, I'm just afraid they'll want to, they'll want me to put, you know, this particular instrument on this, or they'll want me to cut this song, or they want me to do that. And I'm like, hey, that's, I don't blame you. That's up, that's up to you. I'm just, I'm just relaying this on to you that they'll, they would love to, they would love to sign you and, you know, we can, I can go in with you, but I, my, you don't want to do it. Don't do it. That's yeah. great. You know, I think it's brilliant that she, that she turned all those things down. She's done her own, she's done her own thing, and the result is, you know, I mean, the most Grammys by anybody, anybody of drawing anybody. a breath these days. Yeah, yeah. And she, because and she deserves it. She's just, she's got such integrity in her music, and uh, I've always admired that. And I, I, I always lift Allison up as an example to young artists as a, uh, an example of patience, you know, be patient. You know, Allison didn't always have the most Grammys, but she did things her, she did things her way. She did her music, you know, and I'll see somebody that's got this great talent. I'm like, just keep doing that. Don't chase what, yeah. keep doing what, if it touches you, it's going to touch somebody else. Exactly. Your goal is to, to to get it in front of more people that it can touch, it will touch plenty of them. Yeah. Don't worry about oh well this ain't working. I got to do this. Oh well they want me to do this. You know it's it's like my goddaughter Ashley. I mean she, I mean it takes a lot of courage to ask off the label. I mean she was on Big Machine Records. I mean that's Taylor Swift's yeah. same label, okay? But she's not Taylor Swift. She doesn't want to be Taylor Swift. And, and I don't mean that in any bad way. Yeah, totally. At all. I mean, but she wants to do her. She music. wants to be Ashley Campbell. She wants to be Ashley Campbell, and for her to have the courage to go in and ask off that label so she can do her music, she's gonna be fine. Yeah. She's she's gonna be a great artist from now on, whether she becomes the next household name or not. She's gonna be a great artist, and I do believe that over time, just like it did with Allison. I mean that. That happened over time. Allison's been doing this a long time too, yeah. you know. Now she's respected by all and known by all. And but she James was Taylor's always asking, good. And James Taylor's yeah. asking to sing songs yeah. with her. James Taylor's like, yeah, I'll do this record if I can sing with Allison. Yeah, you know. And I'm like, well, I don't have any problem asking Allison. Yeah. I think she'll want to do it, you know. Yeah. And I mean, that that was a that was a cool thing for. I, I believe that Grammy actually took her over the top at the time. You know, I think that I can't remember what number if it was sixteen or seventeen or whatever, but it was, it was it was one that that put her that made her in the first place position. It was like, yeah, that was great. Wow. Yeah. So, but anyway, always thought the world of Allison. She's a great, great lady. When um, we probably get <laughs> when we start talking about I'm things, I don't it. even know where this question started. <laughs> you know, I think it was about the Lubin Brother yeah, album. But 
how important was it for you? I noticed that on the Leuven album, which is one of my favorites, there is a equal. There's such a variety of people from different backgrounds. Whether it was new country, old country, bluegrass, maybe even some non-country. Like how how important was it for you to have folks from all different backgrounds on that album? At least it seemed like to me that that seemed like it had to have been a conscious decision. It was somewhat. It was, but at the same time, a lot like uh, just like I've told you the story about uh, James and Allison and Glenn and Leslie Satcher. It kind of it kind of fell together, you know. I mean, when I told Leslie she's going to get the same Glenn Campbell, oh my gosh! I mean, and there's a there's an example. Not everybody, you know, Leslie Satcher's not a household name, but oh my God, what a angelic singer she is, you know. And of, of course, she's one of the greatest writers in this town, you know. And but she she loved Glenn Campbell, man. It was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get to sing with Glenn Campbell, and she killed it, you know. So that was that was important to me, you know. Uh, but things fell to get Johnny Cash when when I got word to Johnny to, that uh, I was doing Lubin Brothers. I mean, he, he loved the Lubin That's, Brothers. Was one of his primo influences. He yeah. loved the Lubin Brothers, man, and and to have him call me, you know, personally and go, now what is it you want? Me, which which one would you like me to do? You know, and I name off a few things, and then I mentioned, I said, you know, I'm thinking about keep your eyes on Jesus, and I would just, would you consider doing that, you know, that recitation part? You know? I think that'd be good, Carl. You know? <laughs> and, uh, so that was really cool, the way that fell together. You know, okay, okay, here's a chance for me to have Pam and the Jordanaires and Johnny on yeah. one track, you know. A lot of that stuff just, uh, you know, and there were a lot of, uh, of cases where naturally I went to, to to Emmy and to Dolly. And, and you know, one of my greatest thrills, and I can, I can tell you uh, – uh, heck, I'm old enough to say it now. I hope people I hope uh, it doesn't come off the right, the wrong way. I don't mean it in any uh, bragging way or anything, but it meant the world to me when I called Linda Ronstadt, you know, and I asked Linda. I said, Linda, would you would you consider be a part of this record? You know, this I'm doing a Living Brother tribute, and she loved them too so much. And uh, and she said, I'll do it under one condition, Carl. I said, Well, you know, I'll do whatever I can to make that happen. You know, and and she's like. I get to sing with you. Man, I want to tell you what. You talk about something that where your heart jumps in your throat and you go, did I just hear you yeah. right? <laughs> what you was know? that? What was that? Yeah. You know, and I mean, literally. And, and I'm like, that. you have no idea what that means to me. I, I believe I can make that happen, Linda. Yeah. You know, uh, that meant the world. Same thing, ha- same thing ha- happened with Haggard on that record. You know, I had actually had plans to, and I won't, I won't mention the name because I, you know, but I, I had plans. To, I wasn't going to do. I was only going to be on one, and Linda had asked to do that, and I was like, okay, that's the only. You know, I might have sang some parts, but yeah. I wasn't going to be featured on yeah. but one. Yeah. You know, and then but then Haggard, he said, he said, no, 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 no. I could have told him who I was going to get to sing with him, and he said, no, I don't want that. I want you, man. <laughs> so, yeah. please, God, don't anybody take that the wrong way. Those yeah, are just yeah. those are treasured memories and treasured uh, uh, things that mean mean the world to me. That they thought enough of me that that's what they wanted. Yeah. And uh, so, those are th- those are things you can't make up. You know, it means and you and you can't. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't help but be proud of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, 
How is your approach to doing a, a big all-star project like that or Orthophonic Joy, the Mark Twain album, different than maybe your thought process towards an album for a particular artist like a Bradley Walker or Alicia Nugent or whatever? Uh, I, th- I think it's it's probably a little bit different because I really want, you know, you'll notice on the Mark Twain record, for instance, now uh, that they're, the uh, the production on the songs it's 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 not pigeonholed in any way, you know. It's not necessarily bluegrass. It's not necessarily country. It's not necessarily, you know, even the Leuven Brother records. I mean, you know, I mean, it it won, it won not only the Grammy but it won the IBM Award for best bluegrass album. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, I got to be honest. It's not a bluegrass record. It's got bluegrass it, on it. It's got a lot of bluegrass elements. And yeah, a lot of blue, tons of bluegrass elements, and it, a lot and of it's country got, elements, a lot of folk you know, elements. I mean, it's just yeah, got it all. I there. mean, yeah. and Dale and Marty's, you know, I mean, that one's just that's good as it grass, gets right you know? there. But it's but it's not really a bluegrass record. But I mean, it made that made me really proud. Also, that that the people thought enough of that record to to give it the IBMA award as as best bluegrass album, you know. And uh, so there's a little bit of depending on the music you know now with the um well even with the orthophonic joy record still i didn't i just kind of let the song dictate what it needs to be or what i feel like it needs to be without taking it too far yeah you know i tried to keep uh, you know that one pretty much all acoustic and you know so that i'm honoring the the original version spirit yeah but I, i still arranged all those things pretty much differently from the original yeah there's there's so many different textures on that album and different tones and different vibes. Same type of deal. You could fit it in several different categories. I, if you I, I really to. enjoy those kind of records because it doesn't really limit you or, you know, really you're able to stretch out and do, hey, like the, you know, when Corbin Hazlett, when he, when he won the when he won the contest oh, to be gosh. on the record, you know, and he comes in there and just absolutely smokes it. <laughs> but sure I just did. I just wanted to do it with with banjo and bass. That's that's the way I wanted to do it. And man, Dennis Krauts comes in there and he and Lord, I mean they tore the house down. <laughs> they sure did. I mean it's killed. Well, that's the way it was on the video. And I mean when I saw him, you know, he sends this thing in, and I'm like, holy cow, who is this guy? You know, I mean he crushed it. You know, and. uh so I mean, we had a lot of great entries. We had a lot of talented people that that signed up for that. But man, Corbin brought it home. I'm telling you, what a, what a talent! And that was important to me to have uh, some some unknown artists, on, some people that deserved. You know, like on the Mark Twain record, uh, there's not a better singer around than Val Story. She's not a common household name as she should be. Yeah. But I'm putting her on this record. I'm putting the church sisters on this record. I mean, here I am, but we're doing uh, I Wonder by Brookside. I mean, we're talking about trying to sing a song here now that Ava Cassidy sang, okay? So who's going who's gonna to be able to do that? Who's going to fill those shoes, yeah. Well, let me tell you who filled them. Savannah Church. Yeah. At 13, 14 years old, however old she was, when, you know, 15, whatever whatever age she, they, you know, they were, uh, her and Sarah were when they did that. Savannah, there's another one of those immaculate singers. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's got the Glenn Campbell stuff going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and Sarah's quickly caught up now. I mean, yeah. she's killer too. You know, but man, that that blend they have, and I needed somebody that. Uh, I mean, I, I know you you know Ava Cassidy. You know what she does to you when you hear her sing. Well, Savannah does the same thing. And I was, hey, man, here's this girl that you know people don't know. 
they need to know. They need to know this girl. They need to know her sister. They need to know what they are together. What uh, it's magic. Yeah. Those those girls are magic together. First time I saw them was out at Spigma. Really. And somebody came up to me and they said, "Man, there's these two young girls over here. You got to hear." And I'm like, you know, that happens all the time. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, okay, oh, okay, yeah. okay. I'll go and I, I will. I'll go hear them. Mm-hmm. You know, whoever it is. Well, <laughs> they take me over there, and they're standing there, and they. They sang Fishers of Men yeah. for me. And I'm listening to it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I think to myself as they're doing it, you know, like, okay, well, I'm going to throw them a little curve here. I'm going to, on this next chorus, I'm going to sing the third part, you know. Well, I joined in and sang the third part, and I, I thought it might deter them a little yeah. bit, you know, it or might, like might throw them off a little yeah, bit. Oh, let's, no, let's no, see no. See how focused they are. No, yeah, they yeah. were focused. It was like singing with a machine, you know. Wow. They were laser beams. I mean, they were just perfection, you know, and you're like, wow. These, these girls are 13 years old. This is this is a gift from God. They didn't learn to do this. This was already in there. It's just coming out. I remember the first time that I saw them, it was at the uh, the Mac in Columbus, and you and Daryl brought them up to sing Homecoming. Oh just like, it was just, that was the only song they sang, and th- there wasn't a dry eye in the house. Oh, man. I still, we, we did talk about up. shutting down a bluegrass I'm festival. There, you, you could have heard a I'm pin drop. You. They're, they're amazing. We, we did we did Homecoming on uh, Larry's Country Diner. I mean, and I, golly, I see it back, and I'm like, good grief. They crushed it. You know, I mean, they just, you know. That's the way you are when you're 13, you know, 14 years old. So, you know, back back then, people asked me if I was, you know, I was playing with Jim and Jesse or, or Glam. Were you nervous? I'm like, I didn't even know to be nervous. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, I didn't get nervous until much later yeah. on. You, know? you don't get nervous until until you after you do it. Yeah. You know, and you you've been doing it for a while. You know, all of a sudden, then hey man, you're able to do. It. Now you got to do yeah. it every time. Yeah. Now, now you go out there and it's like, oh god, I got to live up to what I did when I was 13. Yeah. <laughs> How cool is it for you to be able to do two things? One, you've been able to use your platform to not only spread young talent, but also um, how we mentioned the Leuven Brothers record in particular was one that you could kind of take, kind of sneak some bluegrass in on the country folks and kind of spread sure. bluegrass to new ears. Sure. Um, how how exciting is that for you to to know that people are discovering artists and types of music for the first time because of your work? It means a lot, and, and and I think it again. It comes from. It's not really a conscious effort to do that. It just comes from the love of what we we said earlier on. It's just just good music, man. If it's I mean if it's if it's raising the hair on my arm, it's gonna raise yeah. the hair on somebody else's arm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And you you just have to kind of like accept the fact that it's not gonna raise the hair on everybody's arm. Yeah. You know, and it's like I think. Too many times people get caught in this thing. We got to sell a record to everybody. We got to sell a record that everybody in America buys. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it. So don't cut down the quality of what you do. You know, well, don't don't cut that down by trying. Don't try to sell a a bigger piece of pie. You know, and and lose the 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 size of the pie you're already able to sell. Yeah. You know. It's you know, like, that's like it's like new Coke. I mean, give me a yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, not not everyone's gonna go to the five star steakhouse, but no. that doesn't mean that yeah. McDonald's is better. That's you right. Know? You know, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, you just 
anyway, it's it's very important. It's that's why I've, I've tried to include, you know, for lack of a better word, unknown artists or new artists or whatever on on projects like that where it's a, a compilation thing. I always put it like people that deserve to be on here. Yeah. You know, even though they may not they may not have the name, the star power yet. They probably will have one day. And this this may be one of the first things people look back at and go, Oh my gosh, this is the first thing they were on. This is you know, this guy recognized this early on, you know, or so that that makes me feel good. Do you think some of that may come from the fact that, uh, as we mentioned earlier, so many people were so encouraging to you uh, as a youngster, and you know, folks like Jim and Jesse and Glenn Campbell taking a chance on you, even though there might be more known commodities out there, they Absolutely. saw something in you that, that Absolutely. they believed I think in. That has a lot to do with it. I mean, I, I I had that kindness, you know, offered up to me, and that that belief and that push, all of those things that 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 those exact people gave me you know jim and jesse i mean you're the you know they featured me every show you know i wasn't just a banjo player i mean they're having me you know sing jim on my mind you know and, and having me play instrumentals and have me do this and, and glenn he's out there leaving the stage you know i mean we're playing the palladium in london where he's leaving the stage <laughs> you know, here i am you know there you are there you go go carl you know and it's like wow you know that's that's something you don't forget and uh, and you want to pass it on, as they say, you know. Oh man, it, nothing tickles me more than to, you know, than to to be able to go on some of these TV shows like, uh, you know, Country Family Reunion, things like that. Sometimes, you know, and hey, here's Carl. Who are these, you know, like the church? Who are these young girls you got with you yeah. here, Carl? You know, and or now who's this? This this is your goddaughter, Ashley Campbell. You know, yeah, yeah, it is. I'm I'm proud of her, and you need to hear her. You know, you need to hear her. She's she's gonna be a big deal one day, you know, because she's a big deal to me now, you know. Do you ever feel like the hustle and bustle of life keeps you from accomplishing your goals and staying on track? Have you ever felt exhausted at the end of the day, but yet feel like you've accomplished nothing? Help focus on your goals and stay on track with a self journal from Best Self Co. Whether you're starting your own business, a college student, or you're just feeling overwhelmed with day-to-day life, the self-journal is packed with tools to help you get more done, with features including daily planning, a 13-week roadmap for your goals, inspirational quotes, daily and weekly habit tracking, and a place to record morning and evening gratitude. Best Self Co. offers a line of productivity tools to help you accomplish more. Check out all of their products at bestself.co. Use code BLUEGRASS to save 15% off of your first purchase. That's bestself.co, code BLUEGRASS to save 15% off your first purchase. And now back to Walls of Time. We uh, we talked about how you, you just look at it as good music. You don't really um, draw those hard and fast lines between the country and bluegrass. Well, I mean, I, I mean, you... you you know I'm there's a difference. Of it. I, yeah, totally. I will. I, w- I will do that if yeah. if you, you want to. Uh, Carl, is that bluegrass? I'll tell you yes or no. Oh yeah, totally. You know, but uh, but in I, the music you choose to make, you you right. you like it all. I do. I do. Um, I know there's there's some people in in the, that want to keep bluegrass bluegrass, want to keep country country. Um, what can you see is is beneficial on just letting it all just be good music and I, not worrying about those lines I, so much. That would be that would be really beneficial to all music if we could do that. But at the same time, 
still be able to recognize the difference between the aluminum siding house and the brick house. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that either one of them are bad. Yeah. You know, they both can, they both can be good, but they both can't be country or they yeah. both can't be rock. I mean, you have sometimes you have to draw a, a wider distinction for people to see what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, you cannot call bluegrass music opera music. Yeah. Can we? Is there any way we can make it? Now, we can have a bluegrass singer sing some opera or an opera singer come in and cut with a bluegrass band. Mm-hmm. You know, we can we can like kind of mash them together a little bit and call it something. But in its in its true form, there's no way, is there? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's using extreme to, yeah. or, or say classical music. Yeah. Now, you know, we can we can work out a classical tune on banjo, you know, you know, yeah. or you know, Allison Nome or somebody yeah. play the wild. Chris Thiele can play, you know, you know, Bach on. He can play Bach on, on, on the mandolin. Yeah, but yeah, and it's incredible. It's wonderful. And, and but to me, he's you know he's playing classical music. Just, just like mandolin. someone could play a rawhide on the piano. You know, he could. Yeah, could take a ride on it. Catherine Marks could take a ride on anything you want to do. Totally. And but is it really bluegrass? No, it's just good. Yeah. <laughs> that, at yeah. that point, it's just good. <laughs> you know. There's nothing wrong with definitions. There's nothing wrong with lines. We just have to keep that broader line at good. Because so many times now we want to, oh, well, we need to do it because this is new and this is progressive. And we need, this is is cool. This is, well, if it ain't good, it ain't cool. Yeah. Good is is like we were talking about, you know, Wichita lineman. Good is going to last for 40 years. Cool is very subjective. Cool always changes. Yeah, I mean, there's you know, yeah, like, there's stuff that was bell-bottom jeans were cool at yeah. one point. Now they might be coming back. Casey Musgraves was wearing a pair last yeah, night. Yeah, but, she was. That's right. But um, yeah, that, I, I guarantee there's listeners out there that bought a pet rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a lot of yeah. them. Yeah, pets I mean? were cool at one point. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean it can't sell, but you might be a. You know, I prefer to be a little more careful about what I want my name attached to, yeah, you totally. know. And I, and I think that serves it serves a long-term purpose better. If yeah, if we could get everybody to think that way, it probably would it probably would help the overall music scene in every genre. I mean, you know, we won't go into a lot of names, but there's a lot of music out there that hmm, kind of using the a really broad definition of the term music. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. In in all <laughs> genres right now. In all yeah. genres, yeah. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> really? Okay. That's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's mean, organized chaos. You know. Meantime, Bach is going... Yeah. <laughs> he's rolling in around. the grave. I mean, yeah. he's like spinning like yeah. a wheel, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's music. Yeah, right. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> We've had a great time talking about all the different, you know, opportunities and twists and turns and paths crossing and doors opening in your musical life. Um, as you look back, and we've talked, you've talked about how how God has has orchestrated so many cool opportunities in your life and and brought so much together. Um, how has your faith influenced the way that uh, that you've navigated this winding path of life that you've led? Of very much, very much so, because I, I believe that uh, I don't think any of it would have happened. I, I think everything that every 
everything that's happened, every blessing I've been given, I mean, it came straight from the good Lord above. I mean, he's he has blessed me so much. You know, I say I can never thank Glenn Campbell enough. Well, I certainly can't thank God enough. I mean, he's been right there every step of the way, opening doors, uh, closing doors when they needed to be closed, you know, helping me make decisions, uh, helping me get over bad decisions, forgiving me for bad decisions, uh, just a, just the light, you know. I mean, he is the way, the truth, and the life, you know. And uh, that's, you got to have faith. you got to have faith. And I've always had that. I've always had, uh, not in a, not in an arrogant way, but a faith that you got to have faith in your abilities. You got to know what you can do. And, uh, he's given me that hopefully in good ways. I feel confident with what I can do, but I know that I can do none of it without him. You know, I mean, he, he can take it away instantly. Yeah. And, uh, man, 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 man. He's just, uh, to uh, give me the opportunity, like I've said, to to you know we do some of those shows, like you know, and I look out there and, and there's this person that I that I wrote a song for, there's this person that I produced, and there's this person that I sang harmony on their record, and there's this, you know, and it's just like, oh my gosh, Amy Lou Harris, I mean, she I'm, she has been such such a supporter of mine and a a, a friend of, of, of gosh I, not enough words you know and I mean I just dreamed of I loved her I, I, I just lo- wanted to sing with her so much and and then to have her contact me and want to sing with me want, want me to come over to her uh to the Anactron truck years ago in LA well let's let's record some stuff together you know, wow, holy, this, yeah. this is Emmy Lou Harris, man. I was on cloud nine, you know? <laughs> and then, yeah, I'll sing on your record with you, you know? Wow. And then Dolly Parton, you know? Well, gosh, Carl, I want you to do this live album. I want you to sing on this, you know? Yeah, sing on this with me, you know? You know, offer me, offer me jobs full-time in the band, you know, Emmy. I mean, she offered me and Sam first. Me and Sam Bush for the Nash Ramblers, and I, I struggled with that, man, because so much I wanted to take that job, but at the same time I had so much going on in town, and and I just I felt like I couldn't take it. But she was so kind; she gave me time. You know, well, you you think about it, and just and she kept stringing along. And the whole and, and and what happens? I get the job for Randy. You know, this kid walks up to me. I'm I'm doing a gig with with Vince. Gil, down at 12th and Porter. And after the show, this kid walks up to me and hands me a cassette tape. And he said, man, are you going to take that job with Emmy Lou? And I, and I told him the whole story. I'm like, man, I don't know. I'm so torn. I love her so much. And, I, you know, I'm so honored she wants me to be in the band. But, you know, I just got my writing career is really taking off. I'm in town. I need to write. I need, and I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I really don't want to go on the road, but it's Emmy Lou. And he said, man, well just, he says, if you don't, he said, well, you listen to this, you know? And I, I literally go to my car and on the way home, I put that tape in and there's that beautiful voice, John Randall Stewart, you know, Randy Stewart. He'll always be Randy Stewart to me, not John Randall, (laughs) you know, but, 
there's that incredible voice, this great picking. And I'm like, wow. And I remember Emmy called me a few days later, and she said, uh, well, actually, we were working together. I don't know if it was the next day, but it was within a couple of days. And I, I told her, I said, I got, some, I got something I want you to hear. And I remember I took her out to the car, and, and, uh, and I played her some of that tape. I said, this kid's, this kid's really, really good. And she called me and then two or three days later, she called me. She said, Carl, she said, have you, have you made up your mind? Are you going to, are you going to take the, you know, the Nash Rambler job? Are you going to take it? And I said, Emmy, you know, I told her the whole thing. I said, God, I just, this is the hardest thing in the world for me to do, but I think I'm going to have to stay in town. I just, I just, I just can't do it. I can't do it. And she said, I need to hire that boy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, said, I said, yeah, you do. You know, so that, that means a lot. There's, you know, there's, there's that. Hopefully that now John's one of the finest writers in town and yeah. still one of the best singers around and <laughs> one of my best friends, John, Randy. He's Randy to me. <laughs> yeah. But so many people like that, I've had the uh, heroes, you know, that I had the opportunity to, to work with and, I keep dropping names. I don't mean to you drop names. I'm just you trying, to, Dolly, you I'm were trying the, to thank people. You were the music director on that Heart Songs project, weren't you? I actually, Steve Buckingham was the music okay, director, but I did. I helped a lot on, yeah, with the harmonies yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was a big part of it. To, to go mm-hmm. from a 14 year old kid staring at a 20 year old Dolly backstage <laughs> at the Opry, that's a that's a huge shift. Then, oh no, I was yeah. still staring at her. <laughs> No, there was no shift at all. I, you know, I've continued to love her forever. You know, yeah. and she's and she is such a precious jewel of a person, such a light. You know, you you're around her, you can't help but smile. She's so good to, she's so good to everybody, and and just she's a huge inspiration, and uh, just so many good times with her. You know. Yeah, cutting that album was a joy. Cutting the Christmas album together was a joy. Getting to having having her offer me a job. I mean, she offered me a job, wanted me to go on the road with her. You know, that's I treasure that. I don't forget it. Another hard decision, man. It's like God, this is Dolly Parton, man. Yeah, this. <laughs> you know, it's this Dolly Parton. Are you you know, but I I had kind of made up my mind after I left the road with Glenn. You know, and it really kind of worked. You know how you asked me that very first question, or really early on, you asked me about what's your favorite thing to do? Mm-hmm. I look back on it now, and it was all the right decision because it caused me to be able to do all of those things. I have done, you know, gone out and done TV shows and, and rode things with Dolly. I've cut, I've cut live albums with her. I've sung in the studio with her. I've toured with Emmy overseas and here i've toured with linda ronstadt here and there i've uh i've done i've had the honor to do all of these things that i dreamed of doing whereas if i had had accepted you know maybe if i'd have taken uh the nash rambler gig full time maybe there would have been some of those other dreams that i yeah. couldn't have fulfilled if you, if you had pigeonholed yourself into just a touring musician yeah or, if, uh, or again, just a session or musician. just a session you know yeah exactly and i think that when i look on it i'm like that's exactly what god wanted you to do because that was your dream you know you had, you had a bunch of them in there you know and wow man you start checking off the list you know what advice do you have for any young people that maybe feel like 
they have to do just one thing or they have to just set, you know, put one dream aside just to chase one, just pick one, you know, cause that, that's something that, you know, you're, you're told, especially in high school these days is you have to pick one passion, yeah, I, you know, or you have to, I totally disagree with that, yeah. that you have to pick one passion. Now, there, there may be cases where you should pick one passion, you know, because again, you know, I was blessed to be able to, to be able to do a lot of different things. Uh, if your if your passion is just singing, and you and and that's where your real real talent lies, then I recommend you you pursue it. You know, and uh, but that don't that don't mean you can't do other things too. But you kind of know what you can do and what you can't do. Yeah. You know, and and I don't mean that to be uh, when I say that overall thing. I mean that's I look at that as a, a real gift to be able to to do a lot of different things. I mean. Uh, you know, Jim Russian, when we're talking about him as a writer, he'll tell you. I mean, he says, he'll tell you. He said, man, I'm not a guitar player. I'm not a singer. You know, I'm a songwriter. Well, he recognizes that. <laughs> the result is he's one of the best in the world. You yeah. know, that's okay. That's okay. He he realizes his limitations, you know, and so I don't know if I'm explaining that just yeah, right. No, but, totally. But it's like, uh, it's, it's frustrating to me. I think in the, you know, with kids, it's, so many times there's talent there that's not pursued or not even pushed maybe by parents. And that's probably unfair for me when I don't have any uh, kids of my own, have some uh, stepkids and, and goddaughter, you know, but, uh, but I, I don't know. I think sometimes parents ought to, ought to push that talent that they know is there maybe a little more than they push math. <laughs> Yeah, you know, not that you don't push math, but yeah. but kind of once you get past, yeah. re- really, they ought to push trigonometry. Didn't get you that job. Trigonometry's not going to get you that job, and it's not going to get you many other jobs unless you, that is your passion and you're going to work for NASA or something. Yeah, that, that can be your passion too. And in that case, yes. But so many of these things that are uh, required to do, there, you know, there, I think there's a better way. Yeah. You know. And sometimes it takes a little push from parents. Maybe I, I can remember Janae Fleener, who's great fiddle player oh, and yes. great singer who worked she, with Larry And congrats Cole. on her uh, nominated for an ACM award, Absolutely. too. Absolutely. That's I'm awesome. So, I'm proud of her, you know. And, and uh, she comes down and sits in with us a lot of times at the end when Aubrey can't be there. and uh, She's great talent. I can remember her telling me that uh, and telling – actually, I was, I was engaged to a girl at the time – uh, before Robin and I got married years ago, I was in, engaged to a girl, and her daughter uh, was had she had she had the ability to be a really good fiddle player. She did she didn't have the passion for it as much, but uh, I felt like maybe we could have pushed her a little more toward it because she could have been she could have been really good. She had the ability, yeah. you know. But and I don't mean to use that as a I hope that's not an example. I'm certainly not. Uh, you know, putting them down or anything. Yeah. God, I, oh, I love yeah. them to this day. They're both wonderful people. And uh, Kaylin is, she's, again, uh, as close to daughter as I get. Her and Ashley, they're, you know, they're my daughters. And McKenna, from, you know, my wife's daughter now. But uh, I don't know. I feel like that sometimes we should recognize those things. And, and I go back to Janae. I remember her telling me that her dad and mom made her practice. 
you know, and I remember her telling Kaylin that story back then. They made her practice, and she didn't she didn't really like it that much then. But now, how thankful she is that yeah. they did, and and the reason I say it, I mean, it's like I don't mean it as some big authoritarian thing. Oh, no, you're no. going to do this. It's like, can't you at least it push them as much as you're going? Now you got to do your homework. Yeah, totally. Yeah, can't you at least push them that much? You know, the fact that her parents recognize, oh, she's probably got a lot better future with this fiddle than she does getting straight A's exactly. in ninth grade. They were doing her a, a good deed. They were doing her a good. They deed. could recognize what her strengths and, were, and, and, you know. And it's yeah. like you're like, oh, well, you can't do that. I don't want them, you know. I don't want. I don't want to make them do anything. And then you turn right around, and you make them do some. You make them uh, diagram a sentence. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good thing. That's a yeah. good thing to learn. Good thing to do. But it's a lot more useful if you're going to be an author. <laughs> yeah, 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 or an English yeah. professor. Or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know. So I don't know. Probably not explaining it just right, but I, I think there's some people probably hearing it that understand how I mean it. I mean, I mean it well. I think of you, Carl, because there's a big catchphrase that a lot of people throw around these days that say, "I want to do all the things," and you're a guy that's done all the things. Oh, you know, appreciate that. No I problem. appreciate that. I have, I haven't done all the things though yet. I still never played center for the Yankees. <laughs> you still never were an old Miss quarterback. I never was an old Miss quarterback. Although I, you know, you know, I, 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 I got. No, I didn't get close to being an old Miss quarterback, but I got to hang out with some of the greats. You know? Oh yeah. Oh, Jim Weatherly's one of my best friends in the world, and uh, Archie Manning's a dear friend of mine too, and and. Uh, to get to hang out with those guys, I always tell <laughs> tell the story of uh, when I first time I met Archie. Uh, I mean, he you know he was a hero to me growing yeah. up. I mean, he oh, he just ha- he'd have to be. He was amazing. He's the best college quarterback I've ever seen. He was amazing. Uh, and so anyway, this buddy of mine, Jerry Holly, who's a golf pro out in Las Vegas, he was doing a, a golf tournament out there, and he was going to have Archie Manning out. And it's like, all right, man, I'm finally going to get to meet <laughs> Archie Manning. So get to meet him. He's really nice and everything. And we decide we're going to, me and him and Jerry are going to get out on the golf course out there, and Archie's going to throw the ball around with us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so he does, man. And of course, I'm just, I'm loving it, man. You know, we're tossing the ball back and forth with, with Archie Manning, you know. And and I, I decide I'm going to go out, I'm going to go deep. You know, I'm going to go deep. And Archie goes for it, man. It's like, I mean, I go deep. I mean, it was, it was literally 60 yard pass. I mean, you know, and he lets her fly, man. And I, you know, one of my proudest moments of my life, I caught it. Oh, there we go. I caught the pass, <laughs> but I stove my finger up, <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh my gosh, I almost broke my finger, but I was going to catch that yeah. pass, you know, and it's like, I wear it proud, you know. <laughs> and you had to go like for I, us I, the day. I, yeah, and, and then had to play. And had to pick. You know, I had to pick, and it was, it was stiff, but it's like, I caught the pass. Yeah, you know? totally. So I tell Arch, <laughs> I tell Arch that, he, it's pretty funny, but uh, yeah, it did meet so many people like that you know but but no i never got to actually play quarterback for Ole Miss and uh hey, you got uh, catching a pass from Archie Manning's that's pretty that's good the next best thing that's right? pretty good yeah that's pretty good and uh and never got to oh man growing up Mickey Mantle was I mean he's to this day was a hero I never got to meet the man he he signed a thing or two to me but I uh, and and was at a show or two but I never really? got to meet him yeah never got to meet him he just I remember one time we were playing in uh uh, not Dayton, Ohio, but we used to do a golf tournament up there every year called the Bogey Busters in okay. Dayton. But there was one we did, the Amana Open was, I think it was in Ohio also. And and Mickey was there. He was he was going to play in the tournament. He and Whitey Ford were playing together. 
And I knew he was in the audience, you know. So, man, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to burn. And Mickey loved country music, too, you know. So I'm like, I'm trying to really burn it up that yeah. night, you know. And uh, and after the show, man, I'm like racing off the stage. I'm just knowing he's going to be out there somewhere where I can say hello to him or whatever. And I, and I see Whitey Ford. You know, and I go over to Whitey Ford and I said, I, you know, I said, oh, I'm so honored to meet you because I love the Yankees, you know, and, and loved him. You know, and I said, man, is, is Mickey around? He said, he said, no, man, he was really tired. He went straight to the room. And I went, oh, no. And, and, and he said, but, it, man, he, he loved the show. He loved the show. And I'm like, oh, gosh. You know, so wow. I, ne I never got to shake the man's hand and uh, literally cried the day he died. I mean, that's, man. you know, it was here. I'm off on a big tangent again. Oh. But that's just, you know, just things I remember and uh, how important and you know, God let me meet a bunch of my heroes anyway. Absolutely. You know, so all good. Wow. Well, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate Pleasure, it. Pleasure, my friend. Uh, we'll do it again. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me, and uh, it was fun. Yeah. I had a blast. Yeah. <laughs> good stuff. Part two of our conversation with Carl Jackson here on Walls of Time Bluegrass Podcast. Caught up with Carl after a, a great lunch of, of barbecue. We went to a, a friend of his, uh, had an office nearby, and sat down and visited and told tall tales. And uh, the title of this uh, two-part episode is Carl Jackson, Music Renaissance Man. Because in addition to being a great picker and singer and performer, Carl has such a storied career behind the scenes in Nashville as well. Yeah, you guys covered a lot of ground with us when talking about um, Carl's uh Grammy-winning albums, including the one he did with John Starling. Um, of course, one of your favorite albums, right? The uh, Louvre Brothers tribute record that uh, came out. Oh, it's probably been maybe eight, nine years ago. Man, longer than that. I'd probably say fifteen years ago. Um, it's been out. It, it's been out a while. Living, loving, losing tribute uh, to the Louvre Brothers that Carl helped produce featured everybody from Rhonda Vincent to Johnny Cash. So I didn't realize you were in high school 15 years ago. You said you were cruising around high school listening to that album. Yeah, when it, came out. I, it might have been out a few years by the time I got my license, but uh, it was went uh, on a repeat. It helped me get through a lot of uh, late night studying and a lot of algebra homework. That's for sure. So well, it's a great album and uh, a lot of fantastic names on that. Won a Grammy. Um, and, uh, it was great to hear how he works together with, you know, all those different artists of all different levels to produce a project like that. I thought that was really great insight. Um, as well as when he was talking about the Mark Twain, uh, tribute album as well. Yeah. He's produced, uh, the live and love and losing the Mark train album, the orthophonic joy album that came out a few years ago. That was a tribute to the Bristol sessions and the big bang of country music. Uh, what, what an undertaking and to be able to, as you said, uh, coordinate all the schedules and all the recording only Carl Jackson could bring together casts that are as diverse as he features on some of these all-star project albums like this that that are truly beloved and ones that will stand the test of time and, and are great historical touchstone albums that really help teach the the history uh, of, of this music and in the case of the Mark Twain album history of just uh, American uh, pop culture in general and I think people probably enjoyed listening to Carl's take on modern country music writing and modern country music songs which he did not hold back his opinion on which i appreciated very much <laughs> absolutely i love the way that carl expressed that when you write songs that cater to trends or to fads if it's catered to a fad it'll fade away almost but if you write something that's true truth lasts forever 
Um, I've heard Alison Krauss talk about that as well. When she looks for songs to record, she looks for something that has an ounce of truth to it, that she can relate as a singer, because that's the stuff that, that matters, and that's the stuff that's going to last, no matter what any trends or charts or what's hot dictates. Right, so true. And yeah, and what I took away from this interview was uh, what heart Carl Jackson has, uh, how he's stayed real in the music business, and his message to have faith in your abilities as an artist and to have faith in your talents. And I thought that was the, the greatest takeaway and uh, so thankful that you're able to sit down with him and hear insights from someone who just does a lot of everything in country and bluegrass music and does it so well and has managed in so many ways to stay down to earth. Carl's a real hero of mine, and uh, he's a great example of a maxim that Mike Bubb mentioned in uh, his interview that we featured a couple weeks ago. Mike said, uh, his advice for anybody in this business is pretty simple. Do what you want to do and don't do what you don't want to do. In the case of Carl Jackson, that means doing a lot of things and wearing a lot of hats, and he does them all so well. And it was a real treat to have him on the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. Uh, Be sure to share this episode with a friend or share the podcast with someone you think may enjoy learning about uh, the history of bluegrass music from the leaders and legends themselves. Where can folks go to learn more uh, about uh, the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast? They can learn more on social media at Walls of Time Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, Walls of Time Pod on Twitter. They can listen to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, Stitcher, and they can also listen to our Walls of Time podcast Spotify playlists at Walls of Time on Spotify as well. Next time on Walls of Time Bluegrass Podcast, we sit down with one of my favorite fiddlers in bluegrass, Hunter Berry. Storied career uh, working with uh, Melvin Goins and Doyle Austin at Quicksilver and been a longtime member of Rhonda Vincent and The Rage for, I guess, about a decade and a half now. Love Hunter's fiddle playing, and he talks about all sorts of nuggets and wisdom he learns from studying some of the real uh, founders and leaders and first-generation fiddlers that are uh, among his favorites. It was great getting to sit down with Hunter on the campus of East Tennessee State University, where he is a professor in the school's Bluegrass uh, Country and Old Time Music Studies program. So we'll catch up with Hunter next time on the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. Thanks for listening. Walls of Time Bluegrass Podcast is produced by Ty Gilpin and Daniel Mullins, edited by Daniel Mullins, and is a production of Blue Poncho Media. Visit wallsoftimepodcast.com for more information.